as we move forward and kind of dive back into the book of Acts, it's actually been some time since we last looked at the book of Acts. When Foothills and Calvary joined together to create one new church in August of 19, excuse me, of August of 2017, we started our preaching series right in the book of Acts. And we ran through chapter 10 in the book of Acts, and then we, we deviated off there knowing that we would come back to Acts. And I believe this is the right time to bring us back to the book of Acts. You know, in, in some ways, when we think about what's going on in our community and within our world, the, the recent and ongoing fires have actually been a reprieve from the division within our culture. As I say this, it does not negate the great loss and pain that people have suffered as a result of the fire's destruction. It is to say that people are less concerned about politics, debates about COVID-19 guidelines, and focusing on people's physical differences. Basically, people are valuing and interacting with one another as people, as humanity. You see, acceptance in our world is fleeting. It's, it's not as secure as we might like to think. For some, it's cultural. You say one wrong thing or one wrong phrase, and the group from which you were accepted becomes the group that rejects you. Hold a different political view or resist a popular cultural perspective, and you become an enemy. We've seen that within our own culture, have we not? That people have become very afraid and very concerned of what they say and how they say it. They're kind of measuring who they're around and what group of people they're with. Because one wrong word taken one wrong way can leave a person rejected, outcast, with a reputation ruined and rejected. For others, that acceptance that's fleeting can be familial. It can be a part of your family. Actions may never seem to to meet or be enough for approval. And and a sense of disappointment or failure looms. And in either way, wherever that acceptance is tenuous, It leaves us with a sense that our acceptance is on the verge of unacceptance. Think about how cautious we are to move. Think about how we evaluate where we receive our own acceptance. Think about what happens when a person feels unaccepted. See, God's acceptance is entirely different. We don't have to guess what is required because He tells us. God's acceptance is available to all who come to Him in Christ. And that's the beauty of God's acceptance. So let's take a look here together at Acts chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18 this morning. And we'll read it together. And this is what it says. It says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. 
But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at the very moment three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me, go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he'd seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And I began to speak, and the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. Lord, take your word this morning and implant it on our hearts. May we rejoice in the acceptance that we can have in you through Jesus. And Father, may our acceptance in you lead us to glorify you as we accept others in the same way. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. The heart of our passage this morning is the fact that God's acceptance, both personally and in his church, is available to all who believe in Christ for salvation. God's acceptance, both personally and in his church, is available to all who believe in Christ for salvation. Acceptance in Christ. That's at the heart of this passage this morning. Acceptance in Christ. Now when we left off in the book of Acts, we stopped there at the end of chapter 10. And before we move forward, it's important to understand that as Acts 10, 44-45 puts it, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even unto the Gentiles. It continues in verse 48. And he, that is Peter, commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So God had set apart a nation of people who were supposed to reveal his glory to the nations when that wasn't occurring and when his people had rejected him God sent his son Jesus 
And it was through Jesus then that he began to set aside for himself his people. And this gospel, this message was not just for the Jews, but it was for the Gentiles. It was for all. And so the gospel had been made available not simply to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Now, verse 11 tells us this. It says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So what was happening here at the beginning of chapter 11? Peter has gone up. He's been ministering to the Gentiles. He comes back, and the apostles and the brothers, that is the believing Jews, have heard of it. And this group known as the circumcision party begin to criticize him. Now, who is this circumcision party? This circumcision party was a group of, of kind of zealous, believing Jews. They, they believed that a person was to become a Jew and then be able to respond to the gospel. It was kind of a, hey, they'll come in, but they're going to also have to, to walk in the Jewish traditions in order to experience the blessing of God and salvation. And so this group comes to Peter and they begin to chastise him, to criticize him. The, the, the Greek actually implies here is that they were saying that they were trying to make different. It was the idea that they were different than or better than the Gentile Christians. Now, we don't tend to live in a culture that sees this divide amongst Christians in this way, but we do see it in other ways. We can find that our acceptance of other believers that look different from us, maybe from an economic perspective or from a cultural perspective, that we find ourselves not as accepting of them. We see this divide amongst kind of Calvinists and Arminians, those who put a greater emphasis on election and those who put a greater emphasis on free will. And we see this divide taking place where we can actually think less than our brothers and sisters. We treat them as weaker brothers and sisters. In fact, we find ourselves, even at times, choosing not to identify with others who have claimed Christ as a result of those differences. I've seen churches that take more of a, a reformed view that won't meet with churches that take more of an Arminian view. We have to be careful of this. And this is what Peter is pointing out. He's dealing with God's acceptance. And so what this passage deals with is really for those of you who are doubting God's acceptance in your own life, I hope that you find encouragement in this this morning. Because that's what he's doing as well. He's encouraging the Gentiles. He, he's encouraging those who may have some doubt about their own acceptance from God. But he's also challenging those who don't have doubt in that area who are being challenged about their acceptance of other believers. We need to remember that yes, that doctrine matters. But those doctrines, the non-essential doctrines, are not to be a place of division or of self-righteousness, but it should be a place of humility. 
And so these religious and zealous Christian Jews are criticizing Peter. Now, what is their criticism? Their criticism seems a little unique here, doesn't it? You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Um, that doesn't translate real well in our culture, right? What it's basically saying is you went to men who don't hold to Jewish traditions and you gave them and acted as if they have all the rights and benefits of those who are saved in Christ. You have fellowship with both the Spirit and with His church, is what they're saying. So, here's the thing. The eating issue was important because when a person dined with them, when a Jewish Christian dined with somebody else, or a Jewish person dined with a Gentile, it meant that they could not keep their Jewish traditions. It meant that they couldn't keep the kosher laws that were required for them. And so to go and to do that when you sat with others, it meant that you were affirming you were affirming them. And so what they're saying to Peter is, listen, you went in fellowship with them. You accepted them as fully one of us. J.B. Polhill points out, it's simply not possible to fully accept someone with whom you are unwilling to share in the intimacy of table fellowship. I love that. It is simply not possible to fully accept someone with whom you are unwilling to share in the intimacy of table fellowship. The early church had to solve the problem of kosher food laws in order to launch a mission to the Gentiles. Purity distinctions and human, description, human discrimination are of a single peace. Think about this for a minute. The homeless believer, is he welcome at your dinner table? The believer who's wrestling with sin, who's repentant but struggling in sin publicly and outwardly, not one that's remaining in unrepentance, but this idea of what do I do when somebody has professed faith and I'm worried that they might be a bad influence on my own family. You see, table fellowship acknowledges acceptance. And a good way to measure our own unacceptance of one another is to ask the question, would I have them sit at the table with me and eat a meal? And are they welcome at my table in my home? That was the question that was being asked. You see, when we invite others into our homes and we share and table fellowship with one another, we are acknowledging a level of acceptance and a level of love. So, what does Peter do? Peter doesn't go all apostolic on him. He doesn't come back in and say, hey, listen to me. I'm just an apostle. Shut up and listen. Right? 
He, he doesn't turn around and say to them, that's just the way it is. You're going to have to get over it. He doesn't use the phrase, because I said so. What does he do? The very first thing that Peter does when he's questioned here, which is not a comfortable question, these were not people that were coming at him with the idea of, hey, we're seeking understanding. They actually came to him with, you're actually doing this wrong, and let me tell you why, and I'm going to make you uncomfortable until you change. But notice how Peter deals with this. Peter, it says here in verse 4, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. He actually takes the time to explain it. So there's two things in this. As followers of Christ, we need to listen when God is doing something different than we're used to. We need to stop and hear. And once we've heard, we can then test it against Scripture, but we need to stop and hear. And we're being challenged, even as harsh as it may be, we need to walk with explanation in love and gentleness. We need to take that opportunity to walk in that. And so the first thing that we see here in verses 4 through 14 is that in God's acceptance, it's explained in His Word. It's explained in His Word. God's acceptance is explained in His Word. If you're wondering what God has to say about His acceptance, you need to go to His Word. And you need to hear it unpacked. You need to hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And you need to go to it and be in it. Now notice, it says here, it says that Peter was in this trance. He was sitting in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from him, What God has made clean or holy, do not call unclean, common, or unholy. What God has made clean, we're not to call unholy. So Peter had been in the city of Joppa and there was a vision to him and initially Peter was thinking to himself, gosh, God's talking about eating rules? Well, what God does is He gives him a picture of the beasts and prey of the earth, four-legged, some clean and some unclean, and He tells him to eat. And Peter is like, no, nothing unpure is going to touch my mouth. And then God says to him, listen, whatever I've made clean, do not call unclean. And what he's pointing out there is not just about food rights, but he's talking about how God has made clean all things through Christ. That through Christ, we can be made clean. And it is only through Christ that we are clean. And so the first part of God's acceptance being explained in His Word is that Christ is the one who makes us clean. Christ is the one who makes us clean. 1 John 1, 7-9 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, it doesn't matter what your past is like. If you're doubting what's occurring in your life, if you're doubting God's acceptance, it doesn't matter what your past is like. Christ has cleansed you. Christ has cleansed us. It's not about rituals and rites. It's not about works. It's that Christ has cleansed us. He has made us clean. He is the one. And that we can only become clean through Him. Jesus tells us in Mark 7 that it's not the food that's placed in your mouth that defiles you, but it's your heart and what comes out that does. We need to understand that God's acceptance when we put our faith in Him is not temporary. And it doesn't fleet away when we fail in sin. But rather, His grace is available and consistent. And it is not the works of our past or even the works of our present that bring us salvation. It is Christ and Christ alone who brings us salvation. It is in Christ that we are cleansed and made clean. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is not of us. It's of Christ. I don't know about you, but I remember as a kid being extremely afraid of hell. I knew I didn't want to go to hell. And so I constantly wanted to be sure. And so every time at church they'd say, hey, do you want to accept Christ in your life? I'm like, yep, right there with you. Right? Because I knew what I did yesterday. I knew what was going on in my heart right then, which was like, the whole entire time this guy was talking, I wasn't listening. I was playing with the communion cup little thingies and making inappropriate noises. But what I knew was I didn't want hell. And so these things seem to be, you know, things that would prevent me from getting there. And I might as well accept God again because it hadn't worked the first time. God's acceptance is not based upon me. It's based upon Christ in me. And when I understand that God's acceptance is based upon Christ in me, it is Christ who does the cleaning work. And as He does the cleaning work, then guess what? My righteousness grows. And my failure in sin hopefully begins to decrease. And because of that, then I desire to serve Him and my works become righteous, but it is not the works that makes me righteous. It is Christ in me because of His cleaning. The second thing that we see about the fact that God's acceptance is explained in His Word, the first is that Christ is the one who makes us clean. The second is that the testimony of His Word is trustworthy. The testimony of His Word is trustworthy. Notice what it says here, and this is a little bit of a unique part of the story. It says, And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. That's the same that we see in Acts 10, verses 9 through 16. 
But then he tells us, And behold, the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. Now, what's important about this is, this is the second time this story is being repeated. If the Word of God repeats a story, sit up and listen. And as a part of that, here's what he's saying. He goes on and he says, And he told us how he'd seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Now what's important about this? Well, first off, there were three men who came. And we're told in chapter 10 that there were other brothers who went with Peter, but we weren't told how many. But in this part of the passage, we are. We're told that the three men, and then there are six brothers, six followers of Christ, six believers that come with Peter. Now, why is this important? It's important because in Jewish law, Every account was to be verified by two or three witnesses. And once it was, the charge was affirmed. So in Jewish culture, the Jewish believers would have seen this and understood this to mean that because there were seven people bearing witness, Peter and the six brothers bearing witness to what was happening in this Gentile's home, it was true. In fact, it was kind of doubly true. But then the unique part of this is something that William Barclay points out. And it's that in an Egyptian law, which the Jews would have known well, seven witnesses were necessary to complete and prove a case. Even more importantly to the Gentiles, Roman law was that there were seven seals needed to authenticate a really important document. The idea here was is that there were seven so that the Gentiles might know that it was true as well. What he was saying is, both the Word can be trusted, both for the Jew and the Gentile, this can be trusted. It's easy sometimes when we're wrestling with the acceptance of God or we're struggling to accept another brother or sister in Christ. It's easy to in a moment find reasons not to trust the Word of God. Some people are really good at knowing God's Word for other people, but failing to accept it for them. The other side of that is that there are people who, on the other side, are very confident in God's Word and use God's Word to manipulate so that they don't have to be accepting. The truth is, is God's Word is trustworthy. If you're doubting God's acceptance for you, not only do you know that Christ is the means of your acceptance, but you need to know that it's true and trustworthy. There is no special exemption for you. You're no special failure that's too far away from Christ. And for the, the believer that's walking in confidence, there is no person that God who says, guess what, they're too far different from you that you don't need to accept them if they're following Christ. 
if they've submitted to Christ. The Scripture is clear. It's explained in His Word both the fact that Christ is the one who brings salvation and that His Word is trustworthy. Well, the second thing that we see, first is that it's explained in His Word. But the second part of that then is that it's confirmed by the present, P-R-E-S-E-N-T, like gift, or presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, presence, His in your midst of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is both a gift and both a presence in your life. It says in verses 15 through, six, through 17, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us in the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? If you have repented and believed on Christ, you have been given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit confirms that you are Christ, that you have been accepted. We're told in Ephesians chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit seals and is the guarantee of our salvation. It is the one who God has given us to confirm that we are saved. When we come to Christ, when we repent and believe on Jesus, He grants us His Spirit who resides in us and empowers us to walk in righteousness and reveals God's Word to us. And even intercedes for us. Praise on our behalf. Ephesians 2, 11-18 says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were, who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, in Christ, one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile both of us to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We're one in Christ. We're one in Christ. And the present, the gift of the Holy Spirit and His presence in our life confirms that we are His, that we have been accepted. I think that's one of the robberies of the great language that we use when we talk about, have you accepted Jesus? God's called us to receive His gift, to repent and believe. He is the one who accepts, not us. He is the one who accepts, not us. We receive the gift that is offered by repenting and believing on Christ, and at that moment, we are accepted by God. So, he then leaves us this. 
We're told in verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. When we understand God's acceptance of us, it will lead to humility and praise. Humility and praise. When believers fully understand that God's acceptance through His grace is done through Christ, we will praise Him and accept other believers in the same manner. See, when we understand God's acceptance, we will humble ourselves. Our minds will be changed. Our minds will be responding to what God has given us, not what we desire or we think. Romans 14.1 says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. I love that. If you think a brother is weak in faith because they have a different view than you, welcome them in, but don't welcome them over to argue with them. Welcome them in and allow God to work in your life to see things through the way that the Spirit is revealing and working in them and vice versa. We need one another because we are one new man in Christ. Frankie Allen in a sermon in the 1930s put it this way, and I, I loved it. He says, sometimes we're shown a more excellent way today. We may find that we have gotten a clearer vision of God's will. God by His Spirit or through His servants may lead us to see truths or ways of service that we had not known before. He may show us that our former views have been wrong. All Christians are learners under the guidance of the Spirit. We ought, like the Christians of old, to glorify God for changing our minds and showing us a better way. He adds, when the Spirit guides us to a new decision, we ought to glorify God. They glorify God through the issue, and though the issue was not as they had expected at the first, they were led to change their minds. They saw that the Spirit had guided them into new and greater realms of truth. They saw that they had been withstanding God in opposing the work of Peter. They had passed through approximately the same experience as Peter had done. So for us this morning, may our response to God's acceptance be one of humility and praise. May we welcome other believers, those who have repented and believed on Christ, not as weaker or stronger in the faith, but as brothers who are to be accepted in the faith. If we're doubting our faith, are doubting our acceptance this morning, may we know that it is not us who made us worry, but it is Christ who made us worthy. And may we be reminded of what God's Word has to say and know confidently that the Spirit in our lives is confirmation of God's acceptance. May we live as a people confident in the acceptance that God has given. May we walk humbly before him and humbly with one another. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have made your acceptance clear. May we be a people who walk in the confidence, joy, and glory of your acceptance. May we love one another in ways that demonstrate that acceptance. Father, may you strike down self-righteousness when it rises up. And when doubt comes to rob and steal us of our joy, 
may you remind us of your acceptance. God, push us to your word. May we understand that it is only in Christ that we are made clean and that your word and promises are true. They are trustworthy for us, not just for others. God, may we see the change of heart that you've done in our lives and the newness and peace of the Spirit as confirmation of your acceptance. And may our response be one of humility and praise. May we never be too hardened for you to teach and change and sift us. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen.